All right. So this morning we're going to be looking at a text out of 1 Chronicles 4, 9 through 10. It is called the Prayer of Jabez or the Prayer of Jabez, uh, depending on where you're from, how you want to pronounce it. There was a book written about, I don't know how many years ago, maybe 20 years ago, very popular, went throughout the land. I was uh, in this, actually I wasn't in this text, I was reading something else and I felt like the Lord kind of prompted me. I wrote this a couple of weeks ago, kind of set it on the shelf, felt like the Lord brought it up for this morning. So we're going we're gonna to dive into it, see if there's anything we can learn here. The Bible says, Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, because I bore him in pain. Jabez called upon the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my border, and that your hand might be with me, that you would keep me from harm so that it may not bring me pain. And God granted what he requested, what he asked. So the first uh, point we want to look at here this morning is Jabez's situation. I don't really have an introduction because there really is no introduction in this text. You're going along, you got the uh, genealogy, and boom, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, here's Jabez. And so Jabez's situation is the first thing we want to look at. The Bible says Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. And then you have a semicolon there. In other words, uh, it's not saying because, it's just a semicolon. And also... His mother called his name Jabez, saying, because I bore him in pain. Now, Jabez's name literally means pain. His mother named him that because of the great, great pain that arose during his birth. Now, obviously, she didn't consider his future when she named him, but only what she was experiencing in the present. The problem becomes that in Hebrew culture, your name reflects your identity and becomes a prophetic shadowing of your future. Now, these verses also give us the end before the beginning. It tells us where Jabez is before telling us in these short verses how Jabez got there. When the Bible tells us that Jabez is more honorable than his brothers, it's not necessarily telling us that his brothers are scoundrels. In fact, what it's seeking to tell us is that Jabez, despite his name, has somehow managed to achieve more renown than they. The comparison between Jabez and his brothers can be better understood in the basic sense that Jabez was more honored or more respected than his brothers. Now, how did Jabez go from being destined for a painful existence to becoming well-known or well-respected? So that brings us to our second point, Jabez's revelation. Again, We'll read the scripture several times. Jabez called upon the name of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my border, that your hand would be with me, that you would keep me from harm, so that it may not bring me pain. And God granted what he asked. Jabez didn't just accept his fate in life. Jabez realized that if something was going to change in his life, he was going to have to reach out to an outside source that had the power to change his life and his destiny. God is introduced next in these verses, and we rightly see that God is the one who changed Jabez's situation and destiny in life. He is described as the God of Israel, but Jabez's cry to him made him not just the God of a people, but individually he actually became the God of Jabez. 
How many of us know that we can belong to a family, we can belong to a church, we can, we can grow up all our lives with a history and a tradition that is built around the worship of God, but it's not until we cry out to God for ourselves that we begin to see God become a catalyst for change in our lives. When I got saved, uh, I, I, I've told you the story before, uh, a pretty girl invited me to church, and it's okay for me to say that because I ended up marrying her. And uh, I followed her to church, uh, went there for three months. I got saved after about three months. And then I told my parents that I got saved going to church. And they weren't real happy about that. Um, they basically said, you're Catholic. Um, now, uh, there's nothing wrong with being Catholic, but we were Catholic, but I didn't even know what it was to be a Catholic. Never went to church. We, we, I, I think there was two times. I was 21 years old when I got saved. I think there's maybe twice in my life that I'd gone to church, and I don't remember ever going with my parents, maybe once. And so, um, you know, Catholic was how we identified ourselves. Yeah. Kind of like when you fill out a form and it says, are you white, are you black, are you Hispanic? It doesn't say you're Hispanic. It says, are you other? I always have to check other. But, but anyway, uh, it's how they identified, we identified ourselves, but being Catholic was for the most part practically irrelevant to our lives. Why? Because it was not made real or relevant to us individually. It was a corporate identity, but it was not an individual practice. But when, however, I called out to God, the one that we had superficially identified with as a family now became the God who showed himself strong in my life. And my life has never been the same because I wasn't just familiar that there was a God. God made himself known to me individually in my life. And that's the difference. And that's what we see Jabez doing. He called out to the God of the people, and now the God of the people became the God of Jabez. Not just the God of Jabez. He was the God of all, but he was uh, the, the relevant. He became uh, um, the personal, personalized to the one who calls on him. Now, what was Jabez's prayer? So, again, his prayer was, God bless me, enlarge my border, uh, that your hand might be with me, keep me from harm, that I may not experience pain. And what I want to focus on now is the content that he was praying out to God. What made Jabez's prayer significant and what is important for us is what he actually prayed in his prayer. So what made Jabez's prayer significant enough to record in the scriptures, um, I believe, becomes relevant to us because what he prayed somehow touched the heartbeat of God. Because I don't know if you know this, but not every prayer made it into Scripture. So why did this one make it into Scripture? Because I, I believe God wanted to reveal something to us. He wanted us to show something. Uh, he wanted us to show what Jabez prayed and somehow learn from what he cried out to God that's, that God answered and brought it to pass in his life. The overall theme of his prayer was that God would bless him. Oh, I don't want to pray that God would bless me. Why not? I don't think it's appropriate to pray that God would bless you. Well, that's why God recorded this in Scripture, because I think God wants us to be blessed, and it's appropriate to ask God to bless you. 
fact, the very prayer that we pray at the end of the service every time is called the ironic blessing. May the Lord bless you, keep you, make his face shine upon you, be gracious toward you, turn his face toward and give you peace. Why do we pray that prayer? Because God said, let Aaron pray this over the people. I want everything that God wants for me. And I'm trying to get you to realize is that God wants you to be blessed. And so it's okay to pray that God will bless you. What does that mean? Well, I don't always know all the extent to that. We're not saying that if you're going to be blessed of God, that you're going to have millions of dollars in the bank, or you're going to have two Mercedes, or you're going to have stocks, you know, that never fail. I'm not saying any of that. All I'm saying is that I want the blessings of God on my life. Amen? Now, if it leads to that, great. But if it doesn't lead to that, if you read the book of Hebrews, those people that had faith, many of them saw incredible things happen in their life, and many of those saw incredible disappointments happen in their life, but they were still dying in faith, and they were rewarded in another life. So we don't always know how it's going to look in this earth, but I do know that God said he would bless me, and I want the blessings of God, and so I'm going to pray that the blessings of God would not only rest on my life, but they would pass down to them, my children and their children and their children after that. But I want to tell you something about Jabez. Jabez, he wasn't shy. He said, God, I want you to bless me, but I don't just want you to bless me. I want you to bless me indeed. That's like saying, I want you to bless me abundantly. You say, well, I don't, I don't know if I should pray that. That's why we're studying this, because when we get to the end, we're going we're gonna to realize that God gave him what he asked for. Sometimes you don't get anything because you don't ask for anything. How did, God, how did Jabez ask God to bless him? And that's what we want to look at next. First of all, he said, enlarge my borders to me that means increase can you say increase with me Jabez was not without land but here he was asking for territory more than what he already had he was asking God to bless him by enlarging his territory now I may, I may I'm gonna read you a few scriptures and I may uh, mess up your ways of thinking a little bit, but biblically, I don't know if you know this, that God is in the increase. Well, I don't believe that. Well, you know, uh, all things are possible to those who believe. If you don't believe, that's fine. You can have whatever you believe. I want to believe scripturally. Scripturally, it says in Genesis 1.28, when God blessed Adam and Eve, God blessed humanity, the Bible says, God said to them, be fruitful. I don't know about you, but that means increase. How many of y'all plant a tree and hope that you only get one withered piece of fruit on it? Anybody here? Yeah, man, that's what I want. I want one. Oh, if I have one piece of fruit on it this year, I'm getting excited because that means next year I hope to have a whole tree full of fruit. I don't plant a tree for one piece of fruit. I plant a tree because I want the thing to be fruitful. To me, that is increase. I don't want to have any kids. I don't want to have any grandkids. I just want it to be me, myself, and I. Wrong. I know y'all. Every one of y'all says, I want to show you my children. I want to show you my grandchildren. I want to show you my great-grandchildren. You know what you're excited about? Increase. 
don't be religious. Let's be real. Right? God is in the increase. Genesis 22, 17 through 18, God says to Abraham, I will bless you. No, he says, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. So he was pointing to the sky and said, if you can count all the stars in the sky, that's how much I want to bless you. Huh? God's in the increase. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, we're talking about Jesus. It says, for us, to us, to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government, that means his rule, his reign, and of peace, there will be no end. How about John 10 and 10? Maybe you'll like this one better. I have come that they may have... I don't want them to have too much life. Just a little bitty bitty. Just a teeny teeny bit of life. How come it doesn't say, I've come that you may have life, period? Because God's in the increase. He said, I've not only come that you may have life, but I've come that you might have it to the full. That you might have it abundantly. Right? Listen, God doesn't just want you to be saved. God wants you to be happy. God wants you to have joy. God wants you to have peace. God wants you to have health, right? And you say, well, that's not the God that I've been taught, or that's not the God that I know. Well, let me introduce you to that God. Jesus himself said, and I believe Jesus was a very joyful individual. I love the new shows that are coming out because they show Jesus as a real person full of joy, not Prozac Jesus. Now, if you're on Prozac, my apologies. I don't mean anything wrong by it. But basically, they show a Jesus that looks like he's drugged and doesn't enjoy life at all. But Jesus enjoyed life. The Bible says not only did he enjoy life, but he, he, his mission wasn't easy. He knew it was going to be difficult, but he went through it because of the joy that was set before him. God wants us to have joy, peace. He wants us to have all the goodness and the blessings of God in our life. And again, don't misconstrue that and don't go away from here saying, hey man, he just wants everybody to have millions of dollars. No, I didn't say that. That doesn't mean that you won't, but I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is God wants you to have life and he wants you to have a full life and an abundant life. Like a vine producing grapes to achieve increase or fullness to our lives, we must understand that it often requires pruning. Oh, I don't like that word. Why did you have to bring that word up? Because in order to have fruitfulness, you've got to be pruned. Some things have to be lopped off for growth to continue in our life. And that requires several things from us. First, since we've been given by God a quality called free will, we must submit to his care for us. The way we do that is by dying to our own self-rule and allowing God to have control of our lives. Now I want you to know that God himself teaches that God is benevolent. That means he is good. I, I quoted that before. For the Lord is good. Right? And many times in Scripture, it declares to us that God is good. Now, in order to allow God's blessings to be upon our life and to flow through our lives, we've got to let Him have control. And this is where the modern church 
has struggled. I'm not, I don't know about the, the historical church. I don't know about all the centuries. I just know that the church that I grew up in, what I've seen a lot is that we have majored on the gospel of salvation, but not on the gospel of the kingdom. What's the difference? The gospel of salvation is say this prayer, get right with God, and you're going to have a, a, an eternity secure in heaven when you die. The problem is that what we haven't taught people is that Jesus actually did not teach that. Jesus actually taught that he that would come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow after me. It's not about asking God into your life. It's about dying to your life and giving your life to God. You don't ask God to come in. You don't say, God, I want you to come into my life as Savior, and you confess Him as Savior. He is your Savior, and that is who He is. But actually, when you get saved in Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says, it says if you believe that... that, that uh, let, me go, let me go there, because it's... Yeah, if you confess with your mouth that He is Lord. Not Savior, but Lord. And believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, so shall you be saved. It's that idea of lordship that's kind of like, uh, like if you were a car and you were saying, well, I, I want Christianity, I want Jesus in my life, Jesus get into my life, you can get on the right side of the seat, you can get in the back seat, but you can't drive. That's right. The way Christianity works, now I'm not saying that if you say this prayer that your ticket is not written in heaven that's kind of the way we present it you know and you're not going to go to heaven when you're done I'm not saying that but the reason we don't see life and life more abundantly the reason we don't see the blessings of God in our life is because in order to do that you've got to die to your own way of living life and you've got to submit to God's way of living life you've got to get yourself off the throne of your life and let Jesus sit on the throne of your life well, I'm making sense to you. Jesus again said, Matthew 16, 24, if you need a reference, if anyone would come after me, let us deny his right to self-rule. I saw that in the commentary once, and I read it every time that way. Deny your right to sit on the throne and let Jesus sit on the throne of your life and take up your cross and follow after him. And why exactly would I want to do that? Because in Matthew 9, 35 through 36, Jesus went through all the cities and villages. And what was he doing? Teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. He's a good God. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. Because he is a good shepherd who came to heal and gather his lost sheep. In John 10 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He's not here to hurt you. He's here to help you. So why would I let him be the Lord and Savior of my life? Because if you will allow that in your life, then he will begin to work in your life in a way where your life can become not only all that he wants for your life, but all that you want for your life. Second, we must not only submit to his good and benevolent care for us, we must always allow him in his goodness, we must also allow him in his goodness to eliminate some things from our lives that prevent and hinder our growth or our fruitfulness. In John 15, 1 through 3, he said, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away and every branch that does bear, bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear fruit more fruit already you are clean actually that word for that word clean is also the same word that was translated prune 
you are already pruned because of the word that I have spoken to you. So how does God prune us through his word? It's not listening to his word that prunes you. It's coming into submission to his word. In order to come into submission to his word, you've got to let go of some things and do things his way. I'm used to doing this way, things this way, but the word of God says to do things this way. Well, I want what the word of God promises me without doing what the word says. That's the modern generation of Christian. doesn't work that way. You've got to submit to the word, not to submit to the pastor, not submit to the board. We're not saying that. You've got to submit to the word. Am I, am I, I don't want anybody to come and submit to me. Uh, I want you to submit to the Word of God. Now, in the Word of God, there are times when you should submit to authority. When the authority is trying to help you, right? Uh, that's, that's what they're trying to do. But the reality is, that's not what I'm looking for. This is what Jesus is looking for. He wants you to bear fruit in life, but in order to bear fruit, you've got to do what the Word says. The word for pruning, again, is the same word for cleaning. In other words, allowing the word of God to work in you is key to truly become fruitful. Many people want to experience God simply with the idea that they will go to heaven when they die. Jesus wants us to experience the joy of living, and to do that, we must allow his word to do its work in us. Let me give you an illustration. I, I used to be an athlete a long time ago. I know it doesn't look like it. But in order to become a better athlete, we allow coaches in our lives to maximize our fruitfulness as athletes. We instinctively know that this will often mean corrections in the way that we are presently doing things. If you're a professional athlete, you're going to get people to come into your life and are going to tell you, if you want to be good, you're going to have to eat different, you're going to have to live different, you're going to have to do things differently. I want to be the best that I can be, but I don't want to do what you tell me to do where you're going to get what you always got. Now, I'm not talking about biblically. I'm talking about in life. We understand that. We know that. People in the tennis world, I mean, people today, they're hiring, uh, uh, they're hiring nutritional coaches that are telling them how you got to eat in order to be effective. They're hiring fitness coaches, and they're hiring tennis coaches that show them how to hit uh, what they need to do, all these kind of things so that they can become better. Well, in order for a coach to be able to do things in your life, you've got to be willing to follow their instructions. Do what they tell you to do. If you don't do what they tell you to do, you're, again, you're not going to see any change in their life. We may not always like the changes, but we know that in order to truly become all we hope to be, we must allow their instructions to take sway in our life. And it's the same with God. If you want to experience what he wants for you to have in life, you've got to let him bring correction into your life. He's a good father, and a good father disciplines his children not hurts them, not abuses them, corrects them in a loving way. Listen, son, listen, daughter, listen, I see what you're doing, and I just want you to know, you, you know, if you continue to let this happen in your life, this is where it's going to lead. Have you ever read the book of Proverbs? That's what Solomon is talking about to his children, to the people that come after him. Son, daughter, listen to your mother, listen to your father. You know, today in our, in our culture, uh, we have a culture that's actually anti-elderly. Anything that is older, we want to chunk out, we want to throw, we have no use for. 
But the reality is the reason the younger generation isn't becoming all it's supposed to be is because much of the wisdom that they need is in the older generation. We don't want any old people in our church. We only want young people in our church where you can have all young people in your church, but you're not going to get very far because it's the older people that know how to live. Now, be honest with you, sometimes the older people, they're just a bunch of religious, you know, but that's not always the case. That's the exception, but it doesn't mean they don't know some stuff. That's, those are people that are listening online. That's not this church, right? You might learn some things if you allow some older people into your life to speak into your life, right? But you've got to honor the, the, the old generation. And sometimes we put God in that, oh, you don't know anything type generation, not realizing that he knows everything. So he said, basically, he prayed for increase, extend the borders of my tent. He also prayed that his, God's hand would be with him. That's talking about the power of God would be evident in his life. Jabez is praying that God's strength, God's power, the, the same power that opened the Red Sea, the same power that, that parted the Jordan, the same power that caused manna to fall from heaven, and that power would be evident in his life and help him to change his present course, his present situation, his present circumstances, and overcome them because of his mighty power. Zechariah 4 and 6, God says, not by might, not by power. He's talking about man's might, man's power, but by the power of the Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Listen, one of the things that's important for you to understand if you've never come to this church before, and, and, and if you have and you never heard me say this, I love every one of you. Every one of you I, I care for, I love. But I'm not trying to create an environment that makes you happy. We want to create an atmosphere that makes God happy. Because we can't change your life. But if God shows up, he can change all life. You hear what I'm saying? So I'm not really interested in where, are we following the correct pattern? Are we doing the right agenda? Do we have an order of service? Do we have, I, I, that doesn't matter, that I could care less about. Do we have that? Yes, we have that. But what's important is to create an environment where God says, I want to visit my church. I enjoy being with my people. And when God shows up, he brings all that he is with him. He brings his peace. He brings his joy. He brings his power. You need healing. It's all in him. He's Jehovah Rapha. He's Jehovah Jireh. He's Jehovah Nisi. He's Jehovah Roa. He's Jehovah Sitkanu. He's all. He's power. It's not form and function and ritual that will change your life. It's the power of Almighty God. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. People that are coming to church, maybe you're interested in just form, function, and you want religiosity. What's the word I'm like? Huh? Religiosity, right? Well, you're not going to find that here. Hopefully. Right? Because that won't change your life. But if God shows up. If you're sick, he heals the sick. If you're troubled, he, he heals the brokenhearted. Anything that you need, if you're, you're, you're financially strapped, God can do a miracle in that situation in your life too. Anything, God has the ability and the power to overcome. Right? He has the ability and the power to overcome. I don't just believe that. I know that to be true because God tells us himself. You have not because you 
ask not. Acts 1 and 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem today and Samaria and the ends of the earth. 1 Corinthians 2, 4 through 5. In my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men or in another place in the eloquence of men, but in the power of God. Listen. If I preach a great sermon and everybody goes away, oh, what a wonderful sermon. It was so great. It was so structured. It was so, and you leave the same. What good is that? What good is it? But if I preach the worst sermon, but God shows up, who cares? Your life has changed. I already know what I can do. Zero, zilch, nothing, nada. Any other way of saying my, uh, what I can do is nothing. I know. I prayed for thousands of people. Well, maybe not thousands, but hundreds of people. And you know what's happened in their life? Nothing, zero, zilch, nada. But when God shows up? So it's not what Rick can do. That's important. It's what God can do. Not by mind, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And that's what Jabez was praying for. God, let your power be evident in my life and through my life. And then he also prayed this. He said, and keep me from harm that I may not experience or cause pain. What was the word pain? That was his name. Pain was his destiny that was set for him by his mother when he was born. And he's basically saying, God, change my destiny. Keep me from harm as praying that his present course of direction that began with his mother naming him pain would be forever altered. Instead of facing what he was predestined by birth to experience because of the world that he lived in and the life that he was prophesied to by his parents, God, he's calling out on God that it would keep him from the evil's predetermined outcome and he would experience a different fate. I think uh, Marty said it this way. We're all S-I-N positive. And the wages of sin is death. And what Jabez would be praying is, God, change my present course. Change my faith. Change my destiny. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. His prayer was that he would experience a divine outcome. That he would fulfill God's purpose for his life. He would fulfill God's destiny for his life. I don't just want to live life. I want to live a meaningful life. I want to live a purposeful life. How do I do that? Solomon, the wisest man on earth, ended up by saying, fear God and keep his commandments. Live for God. And you'll find purpose and meaning in life. Right? We can do everything in life. We can do everything we're supposed to do. We can go to school. We can get a job. We can have kids. We can do all, but something feels empty about it because you're doing it in your own strength. You're just doing stuff. But when you start submitting your life to God and realize I was created on purpose, for a purpose, you can do the same things, but the same things that you're doing give honor and glory to God. And now they become not just, not just uh, uh, fleeting, but they become eternal in scope. You're hearing what I'm saying? His prayer was that he would experience a divine outcome, that he would fulfill God's purpose and destiny for his life. What was life telling him that was going to happen for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God on the wages of sin is death? But the good news is in Romans 10, 9 and 10, we've already quoted this in verse 13. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That word saved, as Marty told you, is not just, hey, I'm going to go to heaven when I die. It's hell, wholeness, completeness. Jabez was, in effect, calling upon the name of the Lord to change his life, to save him, to change his direction, and give him a reason and a purpose in life other than what life had tried to give him before. And here's the good news. The last line is the best. God's reply. First Chronicles 4.10. And God granted him what he asked for. God said, that's the prayer that I want to answer. And he said, yes, Jabez. And God gave him everything he asked for. John 14 and 13. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Matthew 18, 18 through 20. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth has, has already been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two or three agree, uh, on earth agree about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For, for where two or three are ga- have gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Now here's the key, though. I want to bring you just a necessary restraint on praying for whatever you want. Actually, the Bible says, if you can agree about anything in my name, I will do it. What does it mean to ask in Jesus' name? It's best understood to mean to ask something for the sake of God that glorifies God. It is asking for things that will enable Him to bring glory to the Father. Second, how is glory brought to God? What brings glory to the Father is our obedience in carrying out the Father's will. If this is the case, we can understand better the sort of prayer that Jesus taught us to pray when he said in Matthew 6, 9, and 10, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. We often pray, let my kingdom come. Let my will be done. But that's not what Jesus said to pray. He said, pray, thy kingdom come. Come Well, if your kingdom comes, that means your throne is going to sit in my life and in the place where I live, and that means I'm going to have to submit. No, I don't, no, I don't want to do that. Let thy kingdom come in my life and in my heart, and thy will be done in my life and in my heart and in our church, on earth, here, as it is in heaven. As I've said before, heaven is not your assignment. Heaven is our destination. Our assignment is here on earth as it is in heaven. Luke twenty two forty two. Jesus said it this way. Not my will, but thy will be done. What we see in Jabez's life is a prayer that is obviously according to God's will. That's why God included it in the Bible. So to conclude, Jabez's name means literally pain. His mother named it. Every time he called him, he said, Pain. Yes, Mom. Pain. Yes, Dad. Mother named him that because of the great pain that arose during his birth. As we saw, the problem was that in Hebrew culture, your name reflects your identity and it becomes a prophetic shadowing of your future. It's kind of like that. I believe it to be true. Uh, who was it that was over this area? His last name was Hog and he named his daughter Ima you don't think and Yura you don't think that marked those people for life that didn't happen and began here it happened and began 
uh, at least that we know of, it was one thing that took place in Jabez's life. We don't understand because we say Jabez, we don't understand that what they were really saying was pain. Jabez, however, did not accept his fate in life. Jabez realized that if something was going to change in his life, it wasn't going to be what he did. It was going to be reaching out to one who was greater than him. Reaching out to an outside source that had the power to change his life and his destiny. Maybe you're here today and you've been doing everything you know how to do to change your life. And you're realizing that it's not working. Some things are changing, but not what you were hoping for, not what you thought. You've been relying on the strength of man. You've been relying on the strength of doctors. You've been relying on the wisdom of, of you too. And you know what? doesn't work. There's only one thing that works, and that's God. Hallelujah. And God is not found in every religion on the earth. It's found in Jesus. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father except through me. Well, I've known Jesus. I've called on Jesus. I've heard about Jesus. But have you submitted to Jesus? It's only in submitting to him who loves you enough to die for you. He didn't. He's not telling you what to do because he doesn't love you and he wants, uh, he wants control to make you do things you don't want to do. No, he's always and never relinquishes free will. He gave it to us. But he is saying, if you'll listen to me, son, if you'll listen to me, daughter, if you'll take my advice and you'll do what I ask you to do, things will go better for you in life. Yes, you're going to have to cut some things off in your life, but I'm not asking you to cut things off in your life that are going to bring you good. I'm asking you to cut things in your, off in your life that are going to bring you harm in the yeah. long run. Jabez called on that God, that outside source that had the power to change his life and destiny. Jabez cried out to God, and the overall theme of his prayer was that God would bless him. Not just bless him, but bless him abundantly. He prayed that God would bless him with increase, with power, and with the fulfillment of his God-ordained destiny. And God liked that prayer because God granted him what he would request him.